This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Madhumita Santana. And I'm Emilio Bovale. We here at Generation Justice would like to remind you that this program is broadcasting from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we focus on our beloved state, New Mexico, specifically the International District here in Albuquerque. Community leader Enrique Cardiel shows about the closing of the Walmart on San Mateo and Central, the effects this closure has in the community, and important legislation to keep out for. And we have exciting upcoming events and important community announcements to share with you. Speaking about important announcements, don't miss our weekly vaccine equity segment. Coming up is Burbujas de Amor by Juan Luis Guerra. Mutilado de esperanza y de razón Tengo un corazón Que vaciar esta locura Mojado en ti What are some of the challenges that need to be addressed in the International District of Albuquerque? That's a great question, Madhu. Did you know that the Walmart on San Mateo and Central is shutting down? I did. I went earlier this week and the place was almost empty. That is the Walmart that is closest to my house. Earlier this month, it was announced that the Walmart located on San Mateo and Central will be closing on March 10th. That is crazy. Tonight, we bring you a community leader and resident of the International District, our friend Enrique Cardiel who shares his analysis on this and talks about the work he's been doing to improve our community's well-being for decades. That's right, Emilio. Enrique has lived in the International District and worked as a public health professional for over 25 years. Now, here is Adriana Cordova speaking with Enrique Cardiel. This is Adriana Cordova with Generation Justice, and I am speaking with Enrique Cardiel, International District Community Leader. Enrique has lived in the district and worked as a public health professional for over 25 years. He's been involved in community organizing, anti-racism, and media literacy work as a public health professional. Enrique, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you for having me here. It's an honor. I'm super excited to sit down and have a discussion with you today. Please tell us more about yourself. I've lived in the International District since 1996. I've been part of parent uh, teacher organizations, neighborhood association, other kind of community efforts, as well as the International District Healthy Communities Coalition, La Razonida Party. Uh, I've worked for Department of Health, St. Joseph's Community Health, Bernalillo County, and I'm currently the director of the Health Equity Council. And in the past, I also worked with LULAC Education Center. Uh, parents for Behaviorally Different Children, and Voices for Your Children. Thank you so much for sharing. It's it's an honor to be able to um, hear about everything that you've been involved with and learn more about that. Um, Enrique, you have been serving the International District as a community leader for many years. Tell us about some of the advancements that you have been a part of in your community. A lot of different efforts. So some have had larger impact. So one 
is an effort called uh, Light the District, where we took four by four by 12 to 14 foot poles and put solar lights on them and put them in uh, different spaces in the community so that there would be better lighting for folks to be able to walk around early in the morning or late in the evening. I don't like to ask people to do things I wouldn't do. So the first light was put up in my yard and I've had neighbors tell me that, you know, they're, they feel more comfortable walking uh, in the morning. You know, they take their dog out because there's a light, you know, they know where there's a light. Uh, if they feel like uh, there's somebody close by that makes them nervous, they can kind of walk towards the light and they know, you know, that just kind of helps deter any kind of negative behaviors. That has uh, been done around the International District and we presented to the city for neighborhood associations uh, across the whole city. And so that's on YouTube somewhere. I presented with uh, an IDHCC leader, and uh, another leader named Bernadette Hardy. We also began syringe pickups several years ago and we're training community members how to pick up syringes safely. And that became uh, something that the city got behind. So they put up some places to store syringes and you know unfortunately a lot of those have been taken down they were in parks uh, part of that is uh, just the cost to take them and empty them out regularly and do that kind of work but we think it's important people feel safer if their park has a place to store syringes uh, instead of just having them out on the playground and those kind of things uh, so those are just a couple of of quick things that that we've done the lighting project led to a lot of solar powered lighting from the city of Albuquerque to be uh, put into the international district and for the city to buy some of the other lighting from PNM. What was happening was a lot of lights would be out in the evening. Uh, some of them would even be out in the daytime and then off at night. We just kind of organized and complained and enough that uh, the city has purchased some of those so that you know, there's a clear responsibility as to who's supposed to keep the lights on. And it's still not 100% perfect, but it's, it's much better than it was. Um, I was just gonna say, I think that um, the work that you are having a part of in is so admirable. I think that safety should be one of the most valued things in a community, um, especially among you know, our loved ones and our families and our little ones. I think that safety is one of the most key things to keep in mind when it comes to um, advancements in a community. So thank you so much for the work that you've done. Um, but what are some of the challenges that you still see that still need to be addressed? The number of unhoused folks in the communities increased a great deal. And I always wonder how many people see the irony of the number of unhoused indigenous folks here in New Mexico that live in the international district yeah i think just the you know given the colonial history the fact that you have indigenous folks who who aren't housed here you know in new mexico is a, a huge deal and something that we definitely could do better on uh, rents are very high i purchased low-income housing you know back in 96 so my mortgage might be lower than other people's it's might be the same, but my mortgage is about $800, $850. And there's people who are renting apartments for $1,200 on the same street. Uh, that's just 
outrageous to me that that we have folks you know who who are paying more in rent for less bedrooms and less bathrooms you know than than I'm paying for in my mortgage uh, even even though it it is low income housing i think in reality what my housing is is just affordable uh, other folks uh, have told me how much housing has gone up as far as mortgages as well and it's it's ridiculous um, so i think that's that's a key key thing we've worked on you know i i support work um on my own time and and through uh, my day job you know the urban agriculture project that Bernalillo County has you know in large part came through the work we were doing at the International District Healthy Communities Coalition of trying to figure out community gardens that aren't just there for educational purposes right a lot of community you know school gardens are there as part of the education that's important but we also really want to feed people and we really want to get to a point where maybe someone can have a job based on growing food for people here in the district, right here in the city. And so supporting the, uh, those type of things has been important so that I, again, don't wanna do things uh, or ask people to do things I'm not willing to do. So I have a front yard garden where people can come by and pick tomatoes or chile, those kind of things. But we, you know, we're working with a lot of folks on on different kinds of growing projects. And now that uh, the Walmart is closing, I think though those kind of projects will become even more important. So I support the work that's happening at Whittier uh, with the food pantry that they have there to help people have access to food. You know, a, a friend of mine who passed last year, Reina Luz Juarez, really did a lot of work. One to keep Whittier open in in general when there was a point of them considering closing it, but also just to make the school accessible and beneficial for all residents. And I think that's been a, a great change. There's a whole bunch of uh, smaller uh, community gardens or, around the International District, which is great. We're trying to organize folks who grow food, you know, at their house or in their apartment so that we can start building a network. People have tried to do uh, farmers gardens, through the Health Equity Council, we supported Presbyterian's mobile market, which you know was bringing food to folks, uh, making it super affordable and accessible by bringing it to the schools or the clinics. Just kind of trying to look at the community as a whole and trying to figure out what are the things we need you know, to be healthier. And one is a healthy connection to our land, even though we're in the city and most people aren't property owners, this is still the land where we're living, right? And and our land is not healthy, right? We have the jet fuel spill, right? So we, we don't know how much of a health impact that's going to have, you know, how much that's going to impact the water. We've done soil surface level testing of the soil and, and we can't find anything that's incredibly risky at the surface level. So we think it's okay to, for people to grow food and, and to eat that food. So we're encouraging that. Um, we did check. We didn't want to do that, suggest that without checking. And, you know, there were barriers. There were people that didn't want us to check the soil and test the soil, even though they were telling us they knew it was safe. You know, so that's always an interesting thing. When it, it's all good. Just don't look. It, you know, it really gave us even more energy to look into that. We've done work around uh, pedestrian safety, trying to slow down traffic, trying to have better lighting. Albuquerque is one of the most dangerous places for pedestrians. 
in the U.S. And the strip that's just west of San Mateo to Wyoming is pretty much the most dangerous part of the country for pedestrians, right? In the entire U.S. It's not, you know, it's not one of the places we want to be number one at. And so uh, we're trying to work on that. We're just looking at how to make it safer for people to walk. One thing we haven't done well that we've talked about from time to time is how to make it safer and more comfortable for uh, people that present as female to be able to walk in the community, right? We hear a lot about people being harassed, being asked to get into cars, catcalling, you know, lots of things that just make folks uncomfortable. And so we really need to figure that out. There was an opportunity uh, to get substance use services in the neighborhood and um, homeowners organized against it, right? You know, they, the argument is that if you put substance use services in the community, people with substance use issues will come to the community. And so I'm like, well, you know, I don't like to talk bad about my neighborhood, but the reality is, is that there's folks living here who could use those services. And if they could walk to them instead of having to take buses or, or drive to them, it'd be so much better. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. You know, there's places like uh, endorphin power company that provides support for folks and, and other places. But yeah, there's always those tensions between trying to support people that really need help and the perception that if you help somebody who's struggling, you're enabling them or encouraging them, you know, and we really need to find a way to be more realistic about that. Yeah, thank you for sharing more. It's really disheartening in a lot of ways to hear that basic you know human needs like shelter and good food and safety and transportation aren't fully being offered to people but i'm glad to hear that there are steps that we can take and steps that are being taken to improve those living conditions for people it's really nice to hear are there any bills that you are particularly concerned with during this legislative session you know one of the the things before I get to bills and bill numbers and things like that, is that, um, you know, the Walmart has announced that it's closing. It gave like three or four weeks notice, which is not really a lot of time. There's people who use the pharmacy there. You know, there's people who cash their checks there and there is a grocery there. And it's also where people get diapers and, you know, clothes for their children and clothes for themselves. So a lot of stuff's going to be missing. So one thing going on is Representative Anya Nornu, who's the representative for the area, has gotten together with Senator Mimi Stewart and uh, Senator Cedillo Lopez, as well as the mayor. And so there's been an emergency capital outlay request to try to purchase the building so that it doesn't just sit there vacant and empty. You know, because we're, we're not going to fight to keep Walmart. Uh, Walmart's not the best company in the world. What we are is uh, concerned for all the lack of resources that people who have to walk there or take the bus there um, are, are going to lose access to. We don't want to be callous about that, but we also see this as an opportunity to do something healthier for the community. So they're going to try to purchase that building, and, and we hope that we can support that and get a local grocer there as quickly as possible, but also uh, long term, maybe develop a community-owned grocery store, uh, something that's that's here in the community. So uh, as soon as I figure out what the governor's email is, I'll ask, be asking folks to send 
an email to the governor, partially because uh, they're hoping that the governor will match the funds that's being raised through legislation. So we, we really hope to not just have an empty building sit there for 20 or 30 years. There's a, a empty shopping uh, grocery store on Wantabo and Central. And it's been there, I think, almost 20 years already uh, sitting empty. And so that would just be devastating to the community to just have that large of a building empty. There's a lot of empty spots as it is already. So some of the bills I'm, I've been watching and asking people to support, uh, one is SB 73, which is semi-open primaries. I'm not registered as a Democrat or Republican, so I don't get to participate in the primaries, even though I pay tax dollars for those elections, right? I, I'm excluded. And that's not because I'm not interested in what happens in the community or with the elected officials. It's just because I'm not registered with one of the two major parties. So that's one that I'm, I'm hoping will pass. Um, there's a paid family leave, which is SB 11. You know, the United States is one of the countries with, one of the industrialized countries with the lowest uh, paid leave nationwide. You know, we have, I don't think we have any federal level mandatory paid leave, right? Whereas it's universal in other countries for people to have paid leave. So family uh, paid leave would be a huge thing in New Mexico. Uh, and it would be a great thing for families who, who are, you know, raising young ones to be able to have the leave they need to uh, support that development and growth. Um, we like to blame parents for things, but then we don't like to support parents in, you know, what they need to do a good job. Obviously, for my day job, HB 49 is the health council funding, and that was tabled on Monday, uh, but hopefully folks can harass enough legislators that it could get back on the agenda and back into the budget in time. I'm trying to, to work with uh, other health councils across the state to, to kind of support that. And for people that don't know, the state started health councils in 93 and funded them in, I believe, 2008, 2010, around that period. And now currently funds uh, health councils for $9,000 a year. So I'm fortunate uh, that we have enough funding that I'm a full paid person and I have staff that work with me. Uh, but other health councils are completely volunteer, right? And so they're living off of that 9,000. And you're right, it's just for what's expected, it's just really an unreasonable amount of support. The health council is supporting uh, HB 230, which is an alcohol tax. There's a lot of evidence that shows that alcohol taxes slow down young people from starting to drink. So they start at a later age. Um, and it ultimately does slow down adult drinking as well uh, for folks who have already been drinking. There are people who are concerned that, you know, it's a tax that punishes poor people. You know, the money would go into treatment. So somebody who's um, alcohol dependent could hopefully find their way to treatment and, and that treatment be somewhat supported. New Mexico has a long way to catch back up on behavioral and substance use services. So hopefully you know, this would be one, one of the ways where we could refund that system that was decimated a while back and get people more opportunities to be treated, you know. And, and uh, so those are just some of the, the bills I've been watching. Uh, there, you know, there's been uh, different bills around how many signatures somebody needs to get on the ballot if they're not Republican or Democrat or Libertarian. 
those bills aren't very popular with people uh, in our legislature because they're in the parties that have to do with, you know, the less the less amount of signatures, right? And so uh, people people tend not to want too much competition if they're the ones in power. But I believe democracy is about more people having access, not less. That's just really quick. Some of the legislation that, you know, locally we're trying to keep the free fares for buses going. You know, we want people to have access to to public transportation. And yeah, thank you so much for elaborating more on those. I think each of them involve really important topics in our community. And I'm glad that they're being addressed and I really do hope the best for them um, and you know, for the betterment of our community. Just to backtrack just a little bit, you talked a little about the uh, Walmart on San Mateo um, announced to be closed soon. What is the larger implication of that for the international districts? It's huge, right? Walmart was, on the east side of San Mateo years ago, and then shut down. And there were other stores in that little mall that were was there. And so, you know, places kind of filled in that gap at that time. And we had a grocery store. And then Walmart opened on the west side of San Mateo, where it's at now as a super center. It essentially, smaller businesses started closing including the, the grocery store that was across the street. And so we've lost, uh, we lost John Brooks years ago. And more recently, we lost the Fair and Square that was on Central in Tennessee. And so the main grocery store for a lot of people in the community was the Walmart and, or is the Walmart, it's, it's still there. And so them closing will now mean people need to go further to look for food. Um, People will need to readjust where they go to get their pharmacy services at, um, right? Walgreens services at, and it seems like it's that they're full and close to capacity. There's some tiny pharmacies in the community. They're going to get flooded with people. And so people are going to lose access to medications or have slower access to medications. So it's going to have some health impacts. And for some people, you know, that's life and death. And so it's, it's going to be a huge impact in that sense. There's already too many people in the community that depend on Circle K or 7-Eleven or Allsup's for food. That's just going to increase. They can't. That's not sustainable as a healthy source of nutrition, you know. And and so providing alternatives, you know, we we used to have a farmers market in the neighborhood, and it's it was replaced by a um, a dessert shop, right? So it's just a lot of sugar, a lot of processed food, and again, you know, if we're not replacing access to healthy food than and just putting adding more places that sell processed food or sugars you know ultimately that's unhealthy for the community walmart already went from being 24 hours to closing earlier you know i believe they close at nine now and so i know for people you know if you run out of diapers at three in the morning there's no longer a place to go and i'm not saying if we get a grocery store that they're going to be open 24 hours those will have huge impacts you know, and community has started to come together. I pulled together some folks to to meet last weekend, and we talked about some ideas that included, you know, a community-owned grocery store lobbying uh, the existing stores to see if one of them would purchase the property and move in there. Now, if the city owns the property, hopefully that'll be easier um, because that that would happen much faster than developing a neighborhood co-op store would. You know, so we need something sooner, right? 
and we feel like we still need to develop something that that is community controlled neighborhood controlled so those things are not exclusive of each other you know they'd be complementary we think and people are talking about how do we grow more food right so if we have a neighborhood grocery store at some point the food's coming from the neighborhood and in the meantime people can share with each other how do we work on supporting the pharmacies and how do we support recruiting pharmacies into the neighborhood you know CVS was in the neighborhood for a little while and they closed down. So there's a big empty uh, store there on Louisiana and Central. You know, so it's just this thing of these large stores come in, shut down the small stores, and then they disappear whenever it's convenient for them. And then we're left without the infrastructure and the services. So looking at how we can support folks that have started, you know, a store and keep them open and, and how do we support folks who want to get things open, and then how do we become less dependent on groceries for food? At the beginning of the pandemic, I think January or February of 2020, there was somebody was being interviewed and they were asked, you know, what are grocery stores going to look like in 150 years? And the answer was like, why do you assume there's going to be grocery stores? They talked about, if you look at movies, you know, especially disaster type movies that Hollywood produces, he said, we can picture the end of the planet before we could picture the end of capitalism. We have our economic system that's based on exploiting the land and resources and people. And we need to start imagining uh, economies that support the people and support the land, you know, and support the resources that we have. You know, the community is interested in that. And folks may not articulate it in the same way that I do, but people really on some level are clear that our economy is abusive to most of us and we can do better. And so people are interested in that, you know, there is a lot of, I don't know, excitement or relating to billionaires that go up in a rocket to space, you know, for 10 minutes, you know, but there's also a lot of recognition that that's just not sustainable and not healthy for most of us. When the people that are going into rockets are exploiting their workers and they have to use the bathroom in a cup, you know, because they don't have enough time to go to the restroom during their shift. People are clear that that's not right. And people know that we can do better and people want to do better. And I think we as a society don't tend to believe, you know, working class folks can figure out good quality things, but working class people are super smart. The planet would fall apart obviously, without working class people figuring out all kinds of things. We just want to figure out how can we help people uh, create a sustainable community and make that like concrete and not just a kind of pie in the sky thing. But what are the small steps we can take? For me, it's part of it is growing my own food, you know, some of my own food and growing food that people can come and pick. I've had like people walking their children to school in the morning, you know, and I been out there and I'll see like the young person looking at like the tomatoes or the, the peppers and I'll tell them when those are ready you can pick those and the parent looks at me like are you sure and I'm like no no that's the point right that's the whole point right when I went to school there was like berries on the path to school right people had berries right on our fence and so it was normal for us to walk somewhere and like have access to some something to eat and so just creating that kind of environment where Things are different. We heal the soil. Uh, I asked the director of environmental health if he could 
tell me how much carbon a square foot of soil can sequester so that we could use that as a way to encourage people to, to grow food. If we can't count on big business and government to sequester carbon in, in a healthy and honest way, right? There's a lot of BS proposals about sequestering carbon that aren't gonna really do anything. But if we can let people know, like if you grow your own food in your garden and you only have four square feet, this is how much carbon you're sequestered. That's concrete for folks and, and that can get folks excited. Uh, thank you so much for sharing more. I think, you know, it's super disheartening to hear that, you know, so many resources are going to be taken away from this community. Um, but I am glad to hear that there are um, ways to look to the future and for us as a community to come together um, and get involved to help, you know, make this better for people who are having those resources taken away. Um, and so to build on top of that, for anyone who is interested, how can community get involved in helping to build a vision and to take action? Oh, lots of things. Um, you know, one thing is registering people to vote. I've had lots of politicians tell me, you know, your community gets what it gets or doesn't get what it, you know, doesn't get because nobody votes in your community. And it's not true, you know, when you say nobody, but uh, it is a lower turnout than a lot of other places. And so reality is, is if you're in power because people vote for you, that you pay attention to voters, right? And if there's areas where there's low voter turnout, it's easy to ignore them. Part of that also has a lot to do with racism, has a lot to do with class and, and those things. I'm not going to ignore that. You know, if elected officials are willing to say like, yeah, the people that vote, you know, their voice counts, uh, then that's one thing. So uh, registering people to vote is one of those things. If you have any expertise on building a small business, or particularly building a cooperative, that's great. Co-ops are great resource that we were not typing into for folks who are immigrants because U.S. capitalism is very funny in the fact that if you're not legally a citizen, then you're, you know, it's illegal for you to have a job. However, you can own a business. That's legal. <laughs> so if you work in a co-op, you're an owner. So it's one way for folks to work legally that we really haven't tapped into enough. And again, you know, if you just know how to support small businesses, that's great uh, because we could use a lot more. If you're really good at training people on how to grow food, how to do farmers markets, how to, you know, distribute food in a healthy way, that would be great. Uh, and you can get a cold, you know, send me an email at enrique4nm at gmail.com and I can put you in touch either with my job, the Health Equity Council that's working on some of these things or the International District Community Development Corporation, or the International District Healthy Communities Coalition, or one of the other groups in, in the community that's working on things, either a garden or East Central Ministries that has a food co-op. You know, so any of that kind of energy. One of the good ideas that came out from the meeting was to increase mutual aid. So folks can support uh, ABQ mutual aid they're going to have some training soon. I don't have their information right in front of me, but you know they're they're they want to ramp up uh, because there's still a lot of need. You can support. Uh, there's a church on Trumbull and Messia. The church is there. Pastor Joanne Landry houses about 50 people a night there. They've created a shelter, and so they are in need of bunk beds. 
and the bunk beds are $350 each. So if somebody has $350 lying around, you know, it would help two people have a mattress to sleep on instead of sleeping on concrete. So there's tons of opportunities. And I, I prefer opportunities where, you know, if you if you can't engage directly with people, you can share your resources. But in the long run, I'm more interested in people working together than just getting kind of a charity support. So uh, because that's really what's going to help people in the long term. Uh, thank you so much for that ending sentiment that it's, you know, important for us to come together. I absolutely agree with that. Um, um, and it, I'm super, I'm super glad to hear that there are so many opportunities for the community to get involved um, in some of these issues and doing our part to, you know, better the community and do what we can to help one another. Um, but as we start to wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, I think what I want to end on is for us to remember all the times we've seen people with almost no resources figure out something amazing, right? Whether it was our parents, grandparents, you know, our elders, or just somebody we know, right? Or communities of people, right? We see communities that get devastated by natural disasters or uh, sometimes, you know, people created disasters and they come together and they figure out how does it solve a lot of their problems with not that many resources. So I want us to be able to imagine how much people would do if they had resources and support, right? And it wasn't just waiting until they were in a disaster stage. Um, a lot of people have a lot of critiques of people who are unhoused, but think about how hard it has to be to live outside, right? In a climate that's very um, against you. People want to move you around. People are going to do lots of things uh, to keep you from having access to things. And yet people still figure out how to survive and thrive. I mean, there, there's people who go to work, who live in a car or live in a tent, right? And most of us have at least days we don't want to go to work because we're sleeping in our comfortable bed, right? And so I think just kind of remembering and holding up how amazing human people are in figuring out challenges and how sometimes the folks that we think are struggling the most are the ones who come up with the greatest answers to things and support that. Thank you. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that's a, a wonderful tone to end on. I want to say thank you, Enrique, for firstly joining me today. I've, I've been able to learn so much in a shorter period of time. So I'm, I'm just so glad that I was able to sit down and have this discussion. Also, I want to say thank you for all of the work that you've done for the community in the International District, for our community in Albuquerque and the state as a whole. I think that this work reflects on our state and our city as a community, um, as a larger community. Um, so I want to say thank you for all the work that you've done. But also thank you for shedding some light on these very, very important issues um, and topics that you know still need work to be done to keep people safe and healthy and provide them with the resources that they need. And finally, for letting us know, you know, all these different ways that we can get involved as a community. Um, I know I'm going to go and check out some ways that I can help. And I hope that, 
you know, anyone who's listening will walk away with the same sentiment. You know, overall, just thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for teaching me. And thank you for everything that you've done for our community. Thank you so much for having me on. Generation Justice is a great show that does a lot for our community. And I'm happy to catch it as often as I can. And when uh, I enjoy retweeting things uh, and resharing things on the internet. Um, it's, it's an awesome place. Appreciate y'all. Uh, for Generation Justice, I'm Ariana Cordova. Thank you so much, Enrique Cardiel, for sharing your wisdom with us. And thank you for speaking about how the closing of Walmart on San Mateo and Central will affect many people in our community. Thank you, Enrique, for the work you've been doing in our community. It's very important for people to feel safe, keep our streets clean, and give affordable housing to those in unfortunate circumstances. Thank you for providing resources and influencing positive change in our community. Here's the song Yo Soy Chicano by Los Alvarados. Welcome to this week's calendar segment. We have some great events coming up. Want to tell us a little bit about them? Of course. First, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act Advisory Council meeting happening this Tuesday, March 7th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. You can either join via Zoom or attend in person at the Civic Plaza, Albuquerque, New Mexico, 87103. For further information, you can contact Crystal Velarde at CVE. L-A-R-D-E at C-A-B-Q.gov. Again, that's C-V-E-L-A-R-D-E at C-A-B-Q.gov. Or call 505-768-4544. Again, that's 505-768-4544. What else is coming up, Emilio? Wednesday, March 8th at 6 p.m., you can attend Latinos in the Media. A night with Maria Hinaosa. Maria tells her story and experience of being a Latina in the media and the importance for Hispanic and Latinx people to share their stories. This event will be held at the Bank of America Theater on 1701 Fourth Street Southwest. For more information on the event, make sure to contact the NHCC Welcome Center at 505-724-4771. Again, that's 505-724-4771. 4771, or go to their website, nhccnm.org. Again, that's nhccnm.org. We have an important announcement. Have you or your family been impacted by Hermit's Peak or Calf Canyon wildfires? If you live in or have been displaced from your home in Mora, Colfax, Lincoln, San Miguel, or Valencia County, help is here for you. That's right. Local providers from our community are at evacuation sites to connect you to resources. They offer services in English and Spanish via in-person, phone, and telehealth. The services include disaster coping skills and stress management, individual and group crisis counseling, emotional support, crisis response and referral to treatment and resources, and many more. For more information, visit helpishere.nm.org. Again, that's helpishere.nm.org nm.org or call 505-954-1057.
Again, that's 505-954-1057. That wraps up our community calendar. Coming up next, you'll hear Negra Caderona by Asiento Molina. Let's get into this week's vaccine equity segment. Tonight, Generation Justice would like to remind you how important testing is in mitigating the spread of COVID-19. Knowing if you're sick and getting tested can help you seek proper treatment and avoid spreading the virus to others in your community. Where can you find testing availability, Emilio? If you are in need of at-home antigen tests, you can visit accesscovidtests.org or order tests for your family at no cost. Again. That is accesscovidtests.org. At-home tests are great, but remember, according to the CDC antigen tests for SARS-CoV-2, they are generally less sensitive than PCR tests, which detect and amplify the presence of viral nucleic acid. That's right. If you're looking for information about PCR testing locations near you, visit findatestnm.org. Again, that's findatestnm.org. Getting vaccinated is essential. We here at GJ encourage you to get up to date with your vaccination if you haven't done so already. If you or your child are currently in need of a monovalent primary dose or a bivalent booster shot, visit itstimenm.org. You can also find more information about available vaccinations and how to schedule an appointment. We would also like to remind you that maintaining social distancing protocols and continuing to wear a mask are vital ways of protecting yourself and others from contracting the virus. The CDC recommends KN95 and N95 masks to be worn over the mouth and nose to prevent the spread of virus particles from person to person. Please remember that the pandemic is not over. People in our community are still contracting COVID-19. Cases are still continuing to rise, and our communities are still facing the ramifications of this deadly virus. Please do your part and help yourself, your loved ones, and your community stay safe. That's it for our vaccine equity segment tonight. Now we'll hear La Piragua by Gabriel Romero. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our guest, Enrique Cardiel, for sharing his wisdom on the health and well-being of our community in New Mexico. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael and Barbara Ramirez, with production assistance from Sunandita Santana and Malumita Santana, and a special thank you to our interviewer, Adriana Cordova. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts. 
which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, Gwen Alma Health Foundation, the New Mexico Department of Health Infectious Disease Bureau and Office of School and Adolescent Health. As well as the Better Together program, the City of Albuquerque, Race Forward, Media Justice, and of course all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last songs of the night include Central Avenue by local artist Zia Sun 16 Bars featuring Jessica Helen Lopez. I'm Emilio Bovale. And I'm Adamita Santana. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. So people selling everything from jewelry to incense, getting robbed in the process, money struggles intense. Old property in the city don't want to invest. Broken glass, long grass, where fiends sitting in check. Cutting through the heart of the city, adobe and bricks. Central Avenue, old US 66.